Reef Therapy by Reef Builders is brought to you by ICP Analysis. What's in your water? Whatever. How's it going, Jake? What's going on, Mark? Can you believe we've hit a thousand subscribers on the new Reef Therapy channel? Um, I know that the vast majority of the listeners are consuming Reef Therapy sessions on their favorite podcatchers on Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Music. But the YouTube channel is where we have a little bit more interaction and where we can field some questions. And I'm, yeah, I'm actually quite surprised at... Uh, the viewership on a separate, you know, uh, YouTube channel, the Reef Therapy YouTube channel, and are we hitting a thousand subscribers, which is awesome. Um, yeah. And if you're a subscriber on Reef Therapy, make sure to hit that notification bell so you never miss a session. Yeah, that was great to see that climb up so quickly. You know, it was. Uh, I, I know you guys have it all figured out with the YouTube algos and all that stuff, but when we moved it over, I was like, oh, I hope, you know, I hope we don't lose anybody. But we, I think we beat that horse to death at the. Uh, that the source would be moving. So I'm glad everybody found us over there. So, yeah, no, it's a, it's a great place to field questions and comments and feedback yeah. uh, about the future sessions we want to have regarding reef therapy. And um, I do believe you've uh, grabbed a few questions from the last one. So I just want to thank everybody for uh, the, the massive, you know, response and the feedback and the comments. Um, you know, sometimes we talk about stuff and we don't really know <laughs> how it's landing. I mean, obviously, this is just therapy to talk about our reef tanks. It's been a week of reefing, man. There's been a lot going on, but I think we kick it off with some uh, Q&A. What do you think? Yeah, we can do that. And um, I also want to try to make it about, because um, sometimes it's not a question. It's a, it's a good comment, right? Or a good feedback yeah. or something that, that s- stirs the conversation. So, um Let's see. Um, one that I, I thought was interesting, and that's more directed at you. Um, uh, you mentioned if they had a standalone Trident. And I saw a couple of comments, people bringing up the Alcatronic and the Mastertronic. Um, if you had any interest in those, because they are standalone. Oh, man. Um, and I did not Alcatron- prepare you I mean, for these you know questions. How easy, so. I don't know, man. I just, if I had a commercial setup, it would make a lot more sense to have one machine just do an alkalinity. Yeah. But I can test alkalinity in like 90 seconds. I had a thought about it for a second. It's a little bit longer than a minute. It's not quite two minutes, but we test all the chemistry on six systems here in 30 minutes. You know, we have a very serialized process with the pipetter um, and it just goes by so fast. And it's, the thing is, there's just so many moving parts to one of those machines. And the thing, I wouldn't even ever want it to dose. I don't trust the, you know, the machine enough to, to auto dose and try to hold a, an alkalinity level, right? It's got to pull water in. It's got to push water out. It's got to pull for the reagent. It's got to, you know, the pH probe has to work. The software has to work. The Wi-Fi connection and cloud connected. Like there's just so many moving pieces. Whereas over here, I can literally just neutralize the base <laughs> just and look at the pH. It's just such a simple fundamental thing. Um, it's just, yeah, no, not yet. Not yet. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I think they're really cool. Uh, I mean, I think all the automated testing stuff is cool, but I'm not one to do a lot of testing. So the price to benefit ratio for me personally isn't there. Um, you know, they're not cheap. Um, I think they're incredibly cool and it'd be fun to play with one, but I just can't justify the cost for 
you know, that kind of insight. Uh, and I, I don't know what I would do with it. I mean, if, well, if so I had that information on, on a tank a like mine, example. right? I'm not an SBS, you know, crazy head anymore. And yeah, you know, you what are. would I do with that yeah, information? You are. <laughs> I, I admire them from afar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, you always have to fight the urge. But here's a perfect example of why I'm just not sold on, like, most of these water testing robots. You remember a little machine called the KH Guardian? Yep. Yeah, that came out like a year or two before the Alcatronic. No one uses that anymore. You can't even give them away, right? And that was supposed to be like, you know, just a magical machine. And the, it's improving so quickly that who knows, you know, if a, like a, a, a very reliable alkalinity probe is going to come out sometime in the future. You know, it's, everything gets miniaturized over time. And yeah. Yeah. What else you got? I, all right. Let's see. Um, here's some e some some straightforward ones. Uh, There's a question from Big Bear meets Little Bear about Goniopera or Goniopora, however you want to pronounce mm -hmm. it. Do you feed your Goniopras? Some people say it's feeding them. That's why they live now. Or can they just live off of fish poop? Um. Are gonies living and being fed evidence of food working for at least one coral type? Um, Ooh, that's I, a tricky one because it's, it's directed really at you, hard. but yeah, go for it. It's, you know, the red gonies have always lived for some reason. They just do their own thing. And I know like a lot of even su successful gonipora flower pot coral uh, farmers will say they feed their coral, they feed their coral. But man, I... I've looked at them. I've looked at them really hard. You can't, it's really hard to make out food going into the mouth the way you can with a blasto or a disc coral or any kind of media LPS. And, you know, was, I don't know that the relationship has been established that that food is actually going on the coral versus actually introducing some nutrients into your aquariums. But I really think Julian Sprung, there's our token Sprung reference for the <laughs> for the session. Um, I think he got it right about 20 years ago when he said it was uh, iron and manganese. And I've talked to some other, you know, guys who are really watching the parameters. And one guy's like overdriving with manganese. He's like, man, they don't even look like Connie's anymore. <laughs> they just look like anemones because the tentacles are so long. Um, but that's just, a, you know, kind of a fine line to, to walk, you know, the iron and the manganese. But with uh, more testing, hopefully we can not maintain manganese on any particular level, just not overshoot it to the point where it becomes detrimental to the to the aquarium. So I, th I think manganese and just better salts, better additives overall. Okay. Yeah, I I, I don't think it's an example. I, I think it was directed at uh, maybe my skepticism about food actually being... Uh, a big game changer on corals, right? Because I, I brought up, you know, show me, I think I brought up the, uh, you know, aposymbiotic corals or, or the non-photosynthetic mm -hmm. stuff. But um, I, I wouldn't call it an example of like, see, food's working because I think success with the gonies isn't just exclusive to people that are feeding it, right? Right. So, yeah. Um, uh, one that I liked and... Uh, I won't read the whole paragraph, but because because the, the first sentence says it all. But I think this was on, in regards to maybe us critiquing some of the coral prices and the live sales and stuff like that. But you know, whatever happened to shopping local? Um, and that was by Dwayne H. And I feel like we we did talk about that because you you I mean even in a more recent episode you talked about picking up 
you know, used fish or, you know, all corals and yeah. All so, the time. Um, I, that's actually, that's what I look for when I go into a local fish store. I'm not looking for new stock. I'm not looking for micro frags, maybe grab a couple, you know, odds and ends that I, that I need to make it all go well. But I'm always just looking for the coral that was obviously traded in from a tank teardown or an oversized fish that outgrew someone else's tank. Um, you know, I don't know if I mentioned this, but a couple of weeks ago, I got a large coal tang that I wrote about today. He is so beautiful. Like, I'm, I just never even knew that they got that attractive. Oh yeah, lines especially they get the that lines subtle orange in the fins and stuff. Yeah, the pectoral fin is a subtle orange and good lighting. the The stripes are really just like you know hovering around blue. The eye patch is like really big and prominent yellow. Um, but yeah, he's like uh, you know every bit of six inches and just a perfect aquarium fish. So yeah, I support local all the time. I mean that's my jam. The thing is, you can't really share a link you know, on the forums or the groups to something you found locally, right? You can snap a picture yeah. and then upload it and then write a thread versus just share, do a quick share. So now we're all about um, uh, buying local, supporting local. And um, I think that'll be increasingly obvious as we get a little closer to uh, local fish store Saturday. All right, I'll give you one more. Uh, one of them, well, so there's two questions, but one of them is more related to one of the subjects you want to talk about later. So maybe we just save the question for then. Um, but the other one is, uh, and I think we talked about this in a sense indirectly, but is there such a thing as too many corals for a system, whether it be a nano or a larger tank? Um, would it cause too many rapid imbalances in minor or major trace elements, assuming you're able to keep major elements stable? I, I don't even think about it in terms of imbalance or trace elements. I just think about it in the terms of you would be amazingly surprised at how big corals can get. Mm -hmm. uh, and and so in terms of too many corals, and, and again, depends on what coral we're talking about because you can bonsai SPS all day long, but uh, right. I, I do I think there is, a, you know. A better ahead. way to phrase that question is um, probably the ratio of coral mass to water volume. Right. When it comes to absorbing nutrients, minerals, trace elements, or general respiration, it doesn't matter where, whether we're talking about a hundred corals taking up 90% of the space or one big coral taking up 90% of the, of the volume. Right. But I mean, an easy, I like, I love solving questions with thought experiments. If you have a hundred gallon tank and one gallon of coral, you know, that, that coral is just going to have such a, a huge reservoir of, everything it needs and you know it's gonna take a long time for it to uh move the needle as far as the levels of those things yeah. you know conversely if you have 99 gallons of volume of living coral tissue in a 100 gallon tank yeah, they're gonna suck it up real fast so you know this is one of those reasons that larger tanks quote unquote do better they don't necessarily do better but the reservoir of everything is always there and, and we're not talking about calcium alkalinity magnesium we, we are such a masters at replenishing those things it's more of the rest the dissolved organic carbon dissolved organic material um, all the esoteric trace elements that we can't quite put our finger on so you have to find that out for yourself you know if you had a a tank that was full of some basically slow growing cryptic style of 
that's not the same thing as having a tank full of, you know, uh, fast, super fast growing staghorns or a table acro. That's, not that's good a good either. way to put Yeah, that's a good, I think that's a really good answer to that. Um, because I think the ratio does that in that regard, it does matter. Right. So I think that's, yeah, I think that's the most, most important one. So okay. did you, uh, I know you had a you had a ticket to Magna in person in Atlanta that was supposed to be this weekend, mm-hmm. but did you were you able to catch any of the uh, online activity regarding Magna this weekend? I debated it strongly, um, but it was a three day weekend. It was Labor Day weekend. The weather was good, and I just did not picture myself. No offense to Magna or Magna, I didn't picture myself sitting behind a computer for hours and hours a day on a on 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 a weekend when you know that's pretty much all I do for my job, um, yeah. and I I'm, I don't want to say I was irked because uh, that's that's even too strong of a word Go ahead. for how I felt. Let it out, brother. Um, just, just vent a little bit. Well, People no, I was really excited about a local Macna for me. Right, I just just down the road. I live in Atlanta, so I was I was stoked that this was coming to my town. Um, and then, of course, due to COVID, they canceled it and transferred it to a virtual event, which is great. Um, but then they took my, what was 150 bucks and said, okay, you now have a credit to go to Milwaukee. Um, but if you wanted to do the virtual event, you got to pay another 50 bucks. And maybe I misinterpreted the email. I reread it uh, because I, f- I figured you were going to ask this. And I-, I think I'm right in that. And I found that rather annoying. Um one, I don't know what I'm doing in 2022. I don't know if I want to go to Wisconsin. I love Wisconsin. Don't get me wrong. It's a beautiful state. But I don't know if I have plans to go do that uh, next year. Um, you know, the the part of the Macna deal for me was that it was local, you know. So yeah. that, uh, that doesn't mean I can go somewhere remote. Um, I would have been fine if they gave me 100 of the 150 back and then enrolled me for the virtual for the remaining 50 or something like that. And then I could have maybe during the slow periods of my weekend jumped on and, you know, hey, what's going on? But I don't so know. I was exactly mildly irked by that. Yeah. I, that's what I did. I didn't, you know, post up at my computer, but I just kind of dropped in a few different times on Friday and on Saturday. Yeah. And, um, you know, in the first few uh, presentations, I got to say, man, seeing a video presentation without any videos <laughs> – you know, it's like, come on, what year is this? I, you know, it, okay, it was very new and novel to include some video clips like 12 years ago, you know, when you're presenting a keynote or PowerPoint presentation. But now when people are using video to watch your presentation and you have static slides, like, come on, just try a little harder, you know, and don't, don't put up a, a, a single picture or a single slide with three bullet points and then talk at me for like five minutes. There needs to be a little bit more... um compelling content in uh, the the presentation you know so on the flip side um koji wada san of blue harbor he did a presentation and he talked about collecting all the rare fish over like the last 10 years with choppy but actual videos of the fish so i was like oh yeah that's that's really awesome yeah um and it's weird because like you know i know they have the the live aspect of it that they, they want to push but it, oh man you know the interaction and stuff was really light there was some i know there's some like after hour stuff going on um but if you're a Mazda member you can just watch the videos in the highest quality on your own time <laughs> later on and i'm like I think it's cheaper to be a Mazda member than to sign up for Macna online. 
So I think they yeah. need to work on that value proposition. But at the same time, right before that, they announced a new kind of mid-year show called Aquatic Expo, which is going to be in Atlanta. Yeah, and that's I'm happy about that because, uh, again, the local factor. And I, I actually think it's cool that they're bringing in the freshwater component as well. Um, mm-hmm. you know, to me that, that's, that's a whole area of the hobby that I enjoy as well. Right. So, so to, to mix the two, um, and I've never been to an aquashella, but I, from what I gather is that's a hybrid type of situation too, of having both saltwater and freshwater. So, no, um, no, it's it not. isn't. Oh, okay. It isn't. It's a warehouse. And on one side you have saltwater and the other side you have freshwater and there's almost like no conversation. Maybe like uh, a company like Ciche or Ecotech Marine, you know, sells products with crossover potential. But man, you you know how deep my freshwater roots go. And yeah. I was at Aquashella trying to talk to some of these freshwater content creators. And it's like I um, I had learned within about a few interactions to just keep it on the download that I'm actually a saltwater content creator. Because the moment you say something, you know what the freshwater people called saltwater people? What? The dark side. The dark side. Even though our side. tanks are like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, don't go to the dark side. Don't go, you know, that's what they say. I've heard it for years. And I'm like, my tank is brighter than five of your tanks. Yeah. <laughs> what are you calling dark side, man? But yeah, it's, you know, you would think there'd be a lot more of that cross pollination and just learning from different techniques. And um, maybe that's something that can be massaged over time, but not really, you know. And one, and one thing I do miss about Macna, right? Because this is the second year in a row we haven't had a physical Macna. Mm-hmm. Um, I miss the industry folks. You know, the uh, aquashellas and reef blues and reef stocks, um, just a lot of hustling, a lot of vending and just, you know, selling some products, selling some tanks, selling some livestock, selling some livestock. And um, I miss um, kind of the old guard that, you know, you find at Mazna and a little uh, definitely a lot more international representation. So you can find out more about the the macro scale of what's going on in the local e- economies or industries or markets or hobbies you know i kind of miss that so i hope to see more of that at aquatic expo and here's a great uh primer for the listeners and the viewers i would love to do reef therapy live you and me just sitting down talking um you know npr style at a desk as one of the presentations of uh of uh aqua expo yeah that's what it's called aqua Ex- aquatic expo i like them apples i'm in all right um, well if you guys want to we'll see that or you want to attend that or you want to happen tell somebody at in your club or Mazna or macna and let us know in the comments because yeah i think it'd kind of be fun for people to see um how we do it live i'm in Count me in. Yeah. We, I don't know if we would stream it live. I don't know. We can we look into that, but we definitely record it and make that available later. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we could take questions or whatever in some format, you know, to, to kind of have those, um, <clears throat> you know, um, jumping off points for conversation. Um, yeah. That, the one thing speaking I didn't like which, about... Yeah, go ahead. Uh, speaking of which, before I forget, I'm going to be in Houston for my first, like, kind of talky talk. Like, I go to shows all the time, but the um, speaker aspect has definitely taken a back door and then a back seat and then a back closet to these Reef Aquarium shows, some of them. Um, so I'm going to be giving an actual presentation at Reef Currents in Houston this Saturday. I think it's just a one-day show. Um, and I do. I'm literally... 
um, eating my own dog food. There's no keynote. There's no PowerPoint. There's no photographs. It is nonstop video. It's just going to be one giant long video where I show off some of the coolest corals I've seen in the wild. Um, some of them are like bigger colonies or nicer colors, but obviously there's just a lot of weirdo corals that we either never see in the aquarium hobby or haven't seen in the aquarium hobby for a long time because i feel like that'll be really awesome to show folks like hey this small coral is about three feet across <laughs> so uh, is I that going to be available to watch after the fact for non-houston residents or not that i know of but I'll, i yeah. think i'm going to use that same talk for aquashella Dallas okay. and I'll make it I'll make it available in some way shape or form in the future because I'm not going to go through all the trouble to put together a video that I only present to a, you know two different crowds that that'll come out on the so Reef Builders channel. You're touching upon one thing that I did not like about this aquatic expo is that they mentioned no speakers. Um, huh? If I'm what? If I'm, yeah, I think I read that I it's mostly that. just an exhibit type thing, right? Um, oh. That they're not going to do okay, the long well, format. Maybe I'm wrong. Never about mind. That, we're going to rent that. the hall next door, and we're going to do our own show. <laughs> well, it just yeah, because I I I usually I mean there's there's always a few talks at Macton where you're like okay I, I'm sure somebody's benefiting from this, but I'm not. But then there's always there's always a good handful of talks that just blow my mind where I walk away and I either I'm inspired by it, maybe I didn't learn something new, but I'm inspired, or they just totally blew my mind, you know. So that so part to, to I, bring I was those a bit two together, about. as far as showing people videos of corals that they never see, one thing that melted my brain on the spot was when Charlie Varen was giving a talk a handful of macnos ago, and he said, um, Isopora polyphora, which is, you know, kind of a sister group to the acros, the cat's paw acro, is the most common coral in the world, or at least reef building coral in the world. And it just like, it dawned on me and then I've been diving and seen them like they, they protect the shores like an Elkhorn would. And you're like, oh yeah, the most common acro in the world is almost never in the aquarium hobby. There's one strain that's kind of like uh, fleshy brown, almost reddish with green polyps that gets sold as a Montipora because no one grows it big enough to have arm sized branches. Oh, wow. You know, but that was that, that was one of those moments that like really blew my mind when Varen was saying that Isopora polyphora was just hands down, not even close, the the most abundant coral, reef building coral in the world. What was some good moments for you? Um, let's see. I'm trying to think of something more recent, but the one that immediately came to my brain was um, listening to AD talk in person long ago to my first Macna and just talking about uh, these experiments where they did not allow herbivores uh, access to a portion of the reef. Um, yes. Basically just cordoned it off and the whole thing just overgrew with algae. And that just forever cemented in my head that combating algae by nutrient control or chemicals or, you know, like phosphate limitation is is kind of pointless um and not pointless but if you're if you're starving out algae you know what else are you starving out and it just to me it's like it's all about the herbivores right yeah. um but that that was a long time ago um no i mean even the one uh the one in orlando not orlando for Lardo we were in i'm trying to think there was a talk there that just 
got me, but I can't think of it off the top of my head right now. Um, I did enjoy Vincent's talks. Uh, Oh my God. When he said people are buying pictures of corals and not corals, I just, I still crystallize in my brain. It just epitomizes a, a whole subset of contemporary reefers who, you know, when you see their aquarium, you're like, oh, wow, you, I'm sure you spent a lot more time on reef forums than actually in front of your tank observing things. Yeah. Yeah. He, and and uh, just his insight, because when I first met him, I had really had no clue about coral farming. I knew it, you know, I saw the pictures in the magazines and stuff, but just how much is involved in that, you know, that, that, that blew my mind, the whole miracle piece. 10 times more involved than someone who has a slight idea of what's involved at yeah. least 10 times <laughs> i'm sure you know his uh, french personality came through and he just ranted and vented at you and he was right you know it's like you know he's never gonna be you know like forced out of business he'll be regulated out of business from just these mountains of paperwork in order to do everything but i have a good segue about your your topic on herbivores Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got an awesome fish haul last week. I, I was Beyond just, the, uh, the mega coal tank? Yeah. Yeah. The coal tank was um, uh, just a trade-in at Merman's okay. Reef, my, one of my local fish stores. Um, this other one, someone was trying to sell a yellow tang uh, wild, perfect, flawless, um, that they had acquired from a, a, a tank. I don't remember the, the entire situation for their tank uh, teardown, but they ended up like throwing in all the fish. And then I was like, all right. So Saturday, I got a used yellow tang, a used purple tang, a used Tommy tang, a royal grandma, <laughs> a checkerboard wrasse, which I love. I love. I've wanted to get one and just haven't done it for a long time. I think they're just so underrated. People have no idea how beautiful the thing, those things get. Um, I got all those guys plus the most vicious, vicious pair of maroon Alaris and two green bubble tips for less than what you'd consider to be a good deal in just a yellow tang. Wow. That is yeah. a hard man. Holy cow. Yellow tang, purple tang, Tommy, Royal grandma, checkerboard, Two maroon Alaris, two green bubble tips. And the rocks that the bubble tips are on. But man, that maroon Alaris, and for you guys that don't know, um, maroon clowns and Nosolaris slash percula are closely related. And so they do form hybrids in the wild. But uh, ORA produces one. I think it's called the blood orange. That is, I see most often, not in fish stores, but at Petco. Um, oh my God, that thing was just like biting, like not just biting and like coming at my hand in the cooler, but it was biting the webbing of between my my uh, the skin between my thumb and index. How do they know like, how to to go? I for don't that? know. I do you know, not know. They Maybe always just do that crap. Like, they always do that. Yeah, but this thing is like it's so vicious. Oh my god! I did a thing that you know people are probably going to flame me for. Um, I was trying to like adjust the anemones after I'd initially just kind of put them in the, in the tank. So all the, most of the fish went in quarantine with the long-term quarantine system. Those two and their anemones went in just like a corner of my receiving coral table. And the next day I'm trying to like adjust some stuff and just trying to make the anemones happier. And this, the larger maroon Alaris just wouldn't stop, wouldn't stop. I flick, I flicked it out of the tank. <laughs> Oh, on purpose because I, I wanted to grab it. I was trying to grab it and he just, 
just kept biting me instead. So I just kind of flicked him out of the water, kind of let him <laughs> bounce off my foot, pick him off the ground, and then put him in an anemone basket. <laughs> <laughs> then put him in a, in a mini basket. He's like essentially in jail while I'm trying to fix up his her tank. And then I let her out and just immediately goes straight back to biting. <laughs> that fish just, it's funny how some fish, like they don't even skip a beat. You, the most aggressive fish in my tank is my female uh, percula. I mean, she just, yeah. to other fish, not just to me, but you know, when I introduce new fish, it's like, oh, are the are the tangs going to harass this fish to death? I don't really. It's uh, odd. My cold tang and my convict tang are pretty mellow, and they're just like, oh, hey, what's up? Mm-hmm. My percula and her little mate set up right in the middle of the freaking tank. So you know these these cruisers like tangs, angelfish that go by the m- middle of the tank, you know, going left to right. They just deal with this angry percula, and it's just funny that a clownfish. I mean, I guess you know damselfish and all, and that whole relationship down you know in the lineage it makes sense but it's just it's funny that you know i'm i worry about what my clownfish does to the new the new introductions more than than say a tang yeah uh, a maroon is a different beast altogether for sure that and like tomatoes are just yeah yeah, I don't know. but I think it, it you you made a great point with that Walter um, Ad uh, mention of cordoning off the reef and removing the herbivores. Like you can't win by eliminating eliminating the nutrients because everything needs some, and yeah. I've learned that more in a greater depth to that lesson with my corals as far as like actually aiming to try to keep my phosphates and nitrates up. Um, so, so yeah, nice to have a bunch of new tanks to add to the population. Nice. Yeah. Now that's quite a haul. Now some fish that I've had for a while that I'm like, I know you love, but I got a pair of Australian stark eye clownfish about this time last year or like later last year and just like you know they were they were small and pretty and and colorful but now they're starting to reach a size like not three inches but two inches where they're just like really elegant and i'm realizing i need more (laughs) i need more i want more of the australian star guys and i want a couple of the filipino star guys slightly different almost no one would ever notice the difference but i just love that fish so much i know you've you've had some in the past right yeah you helped me buy one. Uh, it was, I think, in Columbia, South Carolina, and I had that thing forever. Oh, and one, it got to like a good, I mean, almost like three-inch size. That's probably an they, exaggeration. They'll get but, to like a showy three inches, yeah. And their blue scales are big. It's not mm-hmm. like this dense matrix of scales. It looks like armor, and it just yep. it glows. Um, that was an amazing fish. I've been wanting to get another one, uh, but I haven't. Uh, I do have an, you know, a cheapy Azure damsel, but um, and the, the price has gone up on them quite a bit. I think, I think the uh, the, well, the cat's right out of the, the bag f- on them, and the freight. The you're freight, right. Yeah. The freight is freaking crazy right now. Um, but yeah, I've just I've had them for about a year. You know, I see them from my desk all day long, all day long. It's funny how much you can see a fish, but sometimes you have to like look at a fish to really take it in and i'm looking at both of them like oh my you guys are really coming along nicely just colorful and you know the the, the weird chain mail pattern for their super large scales when they're like three inches their scales aren't blue anymore they're like right. black with a bl- with a uh, blue hexagon in the center such a freaking cool fish man 
I just wish I could get, because um, to me, they were the poor man's version of a resplendent angelfish. Yeah, they are That's the perfect still... example of convergent evolution between two different groups of a, you know, bright blue fish with a yellow top and kind of similarly shaped bodies. How crazy would it be if someone, you know, in the future could keep a tank of some resplendents and some star guys together? I wonder how they would re- react to each other. Well, think about how many uh, fish there are that are the blue and yellow combo, right? Hepatis tanks. Um, I mean, the list goes on quite a bit. Like, what's this? I'm sure some scientist is pondering that question or maybe already has. But there is so many fish with the blue and yellow, even red sea purple tanks, right? Um, yeah, yeah. They're they're pretty navy bluish. The fun question the is, for, for me, what I pondered more is why so many yellow tails, yeah, what's why so tails? many yellow tails? How many angelfish have yellow tails? Emperor, Chrysuris, lots of pygmies, um, uh, purple tang. Uh, there's two white tail tangs, right? The Tomini and the uh, the white tail tang. Um, then we have the damselfish, and it just seems like the yellow tail. There's so many things named Xanthurus at the end. You're like, man, what is going on with these yellow tails? Is this some kind of a distraction? As a fish is coming at them, they can just kind of flap it, and it just confuses the predator. I don't know. That sounds like a whole PhD thesis for right. fish, you know, uh, behavioralist or, uh, you know, evolutionary biologist. That would be a very fun question to answer. Uh, yeah, and I'm sure there's theories on it, but... Yeah, I don't know. That that that's that's that whole c- color theme. You could you could uh, do a whole tank on blue yellow fish. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. Royal um, grandmas, royal grandmas are purple with yellow back, and there's so many little basslets. All right, if we go down this train, we'll just be sitting here <laughs> listing off like uh, a good ten percent of the reef fish out in the wild. Can I talk about some flake food, man? Yeah, actually, that's a good one. I saw that you brought that up in your notes. And uh, knowing that I actually, the the thing that I just recently had with my fish bloating because I was overfeeding and it was right after the flakes and I started reintroducing them and all as well, but um, which made me glad because I actually like feeding flakes. Your fish are good? uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're rocking again. Oh, yeah. It was a little scary moment, but yeah. I think flake food has gotten a bad rap because the flake food sold in fish stores is trash. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm just without hesitation, I could tell you that if if it's that for so many reasons that we're about to get into, it's just it's just wrong. First of all, flakes are made like very large, and as soon as you use a machine to put them into a container, you end up with a ton of dust. And I'm sure a lot of people will agree, you know, with a lot of modern products, whether it's detergent or fluids or, you know, just recipes, you open up a container or flake food. And first of all, it's already down by like half or a quarter, right? They, you know, they fill it with some nitrogen in there to keep it nice and fresh. I'm like, no, give me my food, right? But then when you work your way through the flake and you get down to the bottom, you end up with like 10 to 25% essentially dust. Mm-hmm. Like what are you supposed to do with that dust? You know? So you're paying for this subpar food that's machine packed that ends up with a ton, a ton of dust. And, um, you know, I'd say the one of the few exceptions probably is going to be um, the Seachem Aquavitro flake is pretty good. You know, I'm sure it's still machine packed and the PE Mysis is also pretty good, but 
it's just not an awesome value, man. I burn through that stuff. Like the PE pellets. Oh my God. I've been working on like one pound buckets of that stuff for like two years. But the yeah. flake, I mean, I just burn, burn, burn through it. And I don't know if you've been to like many freshwater like club meetups, but man, I will drop in on the killifish guys, the Playco guys, the African cichlid guys. And there's always an old, old, old guy there with like a giant trash bag filled with flakes the size of your face. <laughs> and he's going to sell you like uh, $3 a handful, you know, something weird like that. And it's like, it smells good. It smells rich. Um, it, it, it's almost crispy in your hand. Like you kind of almost need to like break it up to get it into a bag or something. And so that made me realize like the best flake foods I've ever come across at fish stores, this is probably a dying art, was bulk. was the bulk fish food that you might get. Um, I think uh, OSI used to have a program um, for that in fish stores, but it's been years since I've actually seen that kind of food available. So I, was I decided about to say the OSI spirulina flakes were killer. That's what got me on the um, on the hunt. I'm like, man, yeah. this stuff has to be around. And uh, through trial and error, I've ordered like you know uh, bulk flake foods from a bunch of different companies on Amazon. On freaking Amazon, because you can't find the stuff on saltwateraquarium.com, Premium Aquatics, Bulk Resupply, uh, Aqua Cave, um, uh, That Fish Place. <laughs> just try to name, like, they don't do that anymore. That's if it's not just easily, like, packaged and, you know, easy, easily shipped, they don't even deal with it anymore. So I was like, man, there's got to be some of these um, invested aquarists who have a lot of fish who make their own food and i found a few different great ones one of them is a medicated food that has um it's it oh man it comes in a bag it's like it's crispy it smells of garlic like every time i feed it i'm like oh yeah and we talked about we touched on garlic more as um uh, appetite stimulant than as actual yeah. uh, uh probiotic or whatever but it has presliquantil it has uh levamisole i think or or metronidazole, some kind of dewormer. It has Epsom salt in there to prevent bloating. Yeah, my question so, is the the bloating piece because you know magnesium is pretty damn abundant in seawater. So yeah, yeah, know. there's there is that. Um, so there's there's one I have that medicated flake that I you know, use in combination for my quarantining procedures. So I'll, like I'll treat the water, and I know I've gotten a lot of the external stuff, and then I'll feed them that food exclusively for like two weeks to you know make sure that it's soaking into their tissues. Um, but more recently, I went on looking for like a really good crunchy flake, um, and I found two really awesome ones. And th here's the here's the funny part: it's better and cheaper. I'm talking about um, cool. There's this, these two products. One's called Cool Mysis and Cool Kelp. And these flakes, man, they look like they were carefully laid into this one pound container. It's $20 for a pound. And these flakes are so big and crispy. Um, it, you, and there's, you look at the, the, the whole container is clear. There's not a dust. There's not one dust, at the, one crumble at the bottom of the container. Now you compare that with like the cost of these other fish foods that are, you know, 10 to 25% crumbles and, and dust. I'm like, wow. So it's from uh, Brine Shrimp Direct. 
They've been around forever. I believe they invented golden pearls, one of the oldest, oldest, old school, you know, coral foods and uh, baby fish foods. Yeah. Um, I think you introduced me to that when I was at your place in 2001 with your green slimer dominated tank of the month. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Brine Shrimp Direct. And I'm sure like stores could get these from Brine Shrimp Direct, but it's $20 for um, this low temperature processed, um, compl- really intact flake foods and Man, sometimes it just takes a little bit of searching or just kind of going outside the norm to find what you're looking for. I'll tell you what, man, this cool kelp is way better than the OSI's, you know, standard spirulina flake that we're used to. It's chunky. Um, um, and you look at the ingredients list, you're like, I want to eat that. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to check and, that out, actually, because I'm, you know, me, I'm, I'm a lazy guy when it comes to the frozen food. I'm trying to do better in that regard. Um, just out of curiosity to see if I actually notice a difference. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a hardcore flake and pellet guy. I've been using a lot of the, um, ah, uh, what are they called? I forget. They're like one of the most common marine flakes out there. Um, ocean nutrition. Yes. Thank you. Ocean nutrition, but Not to be confused with reef nutrition. Yeah. All the names overlap. It's hard to keep track of which one you're actually trying to think of. Yeah. And it's okay. I mean, my fish eat it. Um, I, I tried the one that you recommended recently that was, uh, packed in like a little white jar that is like a mixture oh, yeah, of the, like, uh, uh copepod. Calanus spirulina. spirulina pro. Yeah. yeah. So that's also hand packed. Yeah. And that one, uh, my fish definitely like, um, I've been more of a pellet guy to be honest. Um, and I've I've always been a hardcore fan of um, um, shoot. Why am I drawing all these blanks today? The 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 blue lidded jar. The you know what I'm talking about. Like the that's not that's not ocean nutrition too. No, uh, the famous pellet guys that started got their start in cichlid world. Oh, uh, new life spectrum. New life spectrum. But recently, I started doing. Um, I I did order up some of the reef nutrition pellets. The um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh. And those are like my fish. I, I know it's all anecdotal, like is a fish happy or whatever, but they really dig on those. Um, and so I thought, okay, I'll mix those in, you know, and been blending them all together in a jar and just kind of distributing mm-hmm. them in the tank. So, but uh, I, I have been on the hunt for a flake. I was actually thinking about the OSI spirulina a long time uh, about recently about how I used to feed that a long time ago. So the fact that you started talking about these flakes got me thinking, oh, man, I wonder if that's still around. But then you answered my question of you know, where I could like find something better. It's like the least exciting topic to hit, you know, the top of Reddit slash aquarium subreddit, you know. But if you've <laughs> been keep feeding fish for a long time and you find a flake food like this that you think is going to start to approximate frozen food. I mean, it's again, you just have to see it, just, just literally seeing it. In so many ways, it's twenty dollars for a pound. Um, I got a pound of each, and I think that's going to last me a long time. Just really substantial stuff. Just nice. you know, every little bit helps. Every little bit helps. I think the I think the pellets in the hobby are so much better because they're machine made. They're you know they don't crumble up in um, uh, in the container in shipping and yeah. handling. They're super easy to dispense from automatic fish feeder. So there's, we don't have the same difference. Whereas flake food is just barely there. And then pellets have thrived and gotten really, really good. My, my only beef with pellets, especially if you get into small fish, <clears throat> um, is you you start to have to have provide different sizes of them, 
And the one upside about flake is, you know, you can see like a tiny firefish grab the biggest old flake and it just bites off a chunk or it spits out, it spits it out all chewed up into little bits and then it, you know, grabs like the smallest bit that it spit out. So it's kind of funny with flake, like it can be super big, but even the little guys can figure out to get a chunk off of it. Even corals, you can see corals and anemones catching this stuff. You see like, you know, a quarter inch flake stuck stuck to an oversized Acropora axial polyp. You're like, get it, boy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Go get it, man. That's always super uh, impressive. Um, so yeah, just I know we're, people are going to ask again. Um, that's cool, mysis and cool kelp. Brian Shrimp Direct on Amazon, and I'm sure that Brian Shrimp Direct wholesale to your local fish store if they want to bring it in themselves. And that's a good mixture too. You could probably mix the two together, or I that's mean, exactly not what in I the did. same. Okay, there you go. That's exactly what I did. I took a like yeah. you know, I took a spare new life spectrum container that was clear and i put you know a, an even mix mix of each tumbled it around a little bit and we're after the races i think i got enough flake food for at least six months all right here's a dumb question for you since we're on the subject remember how we were told to never feed freshwater fish to um lionfish or you know scorpion fish because they don't have the right fatty acids and all of that and yes. you should source you should source your food from marine, right? But aren't yes. mice? Oh yeah, that was that was the. Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and that is yep, like the most yep, popular yep, yep. food in the hobby from a protein source is mice, right? Well, like everything else, man. These generalizations, if you are militant about them, they'll get yeah. you in trouble, right? So the trouble with most freshwater fish is they have um, fish vertebrates they have a lot more i believe you know this is again generalizing uh omega sixes um so like goldfish and tilapia i don't know how many freshwater fish meats have been analyzed but i don't know that much as much as i do about um omega threes but my understanding is that omega sixes are like the opposite of omega threes right if you eat like a lot of salmon in your life you're going to have good brain health and circulation and vision i think that's how that works and if you eat like a lot of tilapia or you know say you're um, in a rural community in a developing country and you're really counting on tilapia for your protein um you will have some you know uh you will develop certain uh dietary conditions over time Right. So I don't know how much of that was absolute when it says freshwater or saltwater derived, but I do know yeah. that the freshwater side of it um, and the vertebrates, that was not good. And w- once again, I t- I'm not quite sure why cyclopes and mysis are better. I think it has to do with the, you know, their Arctic conditions, right? Because PE mysis and cyclopes come from. Um, high latitude Arctic lakes that get like massive sun exposure for very long periods of time. And that's why the Hikari mysis from China, which is not equatorial, but you know, definitely lower down the latitude. Um, they don't see that much exposure and they're just kind of like normal small mice. I mean, you see the difference when you just, if you feed Hikari mysis versus pricing energetics mysis, um, you gotta, you have to rinse the PE mysis sometimes two or three times. Whereas the Hikari, you can just kind of, you know, pl- pop it out and roll. Yeah. 
And I mean, I'm get. I, I know I'm comparing apples to oranges, right? Freshwater guppies, feeder guppies, goldfish are a different story than who knows. Maybe on the invertebrate scale, like shrimps and stuff, this is not so much of an issue. Mm-hmm. Somebody much smarter to me can explain that. But I've always just kind of been curious because, um, to your like you sort of alluded to, and what my question was is. I was always, you know, like, oh, don't feed too many freshwater food sources to your marine organisms. And then it's like, you know, you got mice and shrimp and uh, freshwater copepods and lettuce, romaine lettuce is another good one. Yeah. <laughs> um, lettuce and lettuce and lettuce. Um, but yeah. Uh, and like black, black worms, right? You want to breed oh, yeah. any fish, freshwater or saltwater, give them some live black worms. So maybe that... That rule of thumb um, pertained more to the invertebrates, to the vertebrates than the invertebrates, even though yeah. we didn't have the, 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 the cross-spectrum knowledge of stuff. All right. Can I take a U-turn? Or yeah, a go for it, man. I know you guys have I good have ones. Decided, I have decided that I have almost enough fish at the studio. And for a almost. long time, my three... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh yeah. No, there's you're never gonna have all the fish ever, right? But I, you know, I set up this um 150 gallon mode rack with three tiers to really be able to bring fish in, bring fish in, yeah, and quarantine and condition them and isolate them as needed. But for about a year, year and a half, the top row hasn't even been running. I just shut that one completely down because I wasn't bringing in that many fish, and I just kind of realized, um. I think it was like this weekend. I was looking at it. I was like, you know what? I think I want to put all my anemones in here. So I think I'm going to convert my three-tiered mode rack to house all my anemones, you know, in their respective places. So what am I sitting on right now? i got a large ritteri, a couple of sun, large sunbursts. Man, those things are growing fast. And they, mine split and when they're large. And when, when they're done splitting, they're like still really large. I don't have these tiny little fairy looking sunburst anemones. Um, I got a handful of Nexus bursts. I have a red Malu. I have two pizza anemones and I'm sure I'm forgetting one or two out there, but I would also love to get, um, really want like the bluest, like fake blue colored carpet anemone and some, uh, condies, some condylactis anemone. I just think they're the freaking coolest anemone. When you get it happy, man, that thing will outshine most bubble tips, not all. Throw, it's, you know, it's kind of hard to top a sunburst. Peterman shrimp in there, and man, you got. <sighs> you know how much I want to, but like trying to start that hunt for the invertebrates that used to, you know, if you hit up like a handful of fish stores in a different dis- decent area, you would come across some pom pom crabs and periclemenes and anemone shrimp and porcelain crabs, and now it's like pulling teeth. You know, I, I ordered. A, a while back, I ordered a gold coral banded shrimp for $30 and I got a regular coral banded shrimp. I was just so deflated. I didn't even bother complaining about it. It's like, man, I'm not going to spend over $30 on a small, normal coral banded shrimp, man. What do you think this is? I wanted the gold one, specifically that one. It was a WYSIWYG specimen. Arrgh. You know, I want to, I want to go down those paths, but anyway, I think it's gonna be fun, but it's going to do two things. One, uh, I need to get the last few fish on my hit list that I know I want, you know, so I can get them, condition them, get them out in the tanks and just kind of, you know, put a cap in that. And then, oh my God, it's going to be the easiest conversion ever. I, I don't know what I need to do. Like, I am thinking about using a very old recirculating H&S protein skimmer with a new controllable pump on there. 
Um, you might have seen this H&S skimmer on the old Aquamart uh, Acapora uh, display tank. I have yeah. that. Really? Yeah, it's recirculating style with a very small, just normal Aqua B pump. But man, that thing just works like freaking crazy. So yeah, I think I'm going to put that on this tank and I'll still keep two 10-gallon uh, hospital slash quarantine tanks, but one of them sort of for corals. But I can always throw up a, a medium-sized tank if I get something a little bit larger uh, on a dime. But I don't expect to be doing that nearly as much anymore. And, and very excited to get all those anemone baskets just out of my coral tanks. Well, I have better flow and and. and presentation of the the coral tables but then i'll finally be able to see my anemones in a you know in an aquarium the way they were meant to be so what's your take i know some of the uh folks that are really in anemones advise against mixing species or genuses um something about um seeing like a decline of one over the other um any concerns about that by throwing them into a system that's shared water I yeah. have had them because I've been growing sunbursts since before they hit the scene. You know, they were just like yeah. a local phenomenon. And I thought people were crazy for spending $300 on them, which is retarded. You know, just just astronomical price for a bubble tip for 2005. Um, so I did have some initial um, reservations. Uh, I will Now that you mention it, I'm going to have to set up an anemone quarantine tank where anemones <laughs> go in there and just get treated and just get isolated before they mix. But no, you know, I have my Nexus burst next to my Ritter eye, it, it, uh, my Nexus burst in a basket next to a Ritter eye in a basket next to the sunburst in the basket. So they're like all downstream from each other. Oh, okay. And I've had also some of the Malus and some, uh, oh, I do have also the two pizzas. Um, I just, they're not so in the in the mode system. They're not going to be all together, right? I got six different compartments. Yeah. So you know, probably the biggest one will be for the Ritter eye, and we'll let him settle in and see what he does. But the thing that's cool about them, they all have like perfect pre filters at the surface and at the at the bottom. Um, all the flow can be provided by the return. So I might like, you know, tweak the nozzles a little bit, put a little bit more of a flare on them or a little bit more of a clover on them, turn up the return, turn pump a little bit more to get a little bit more of that velocity. But then this is like the perfect anemone system with no power heads from that get, get sucked into and dual drains because there's a surface and a subsurface drains. So they're, you know, they're not going to block both of them at the same time. And, uh, yeah, I think it'd be freaking awesome with no equipment in there. I, I went down the anemone tank route uh, a few years ago because I, I had to, you know, uh, move my big tank into the basement. And then it was like, well, you know, let's just set up a little cube tank upstairs so there's still something. And the goal was, uh, you know, back then the captive bred lattice and Addis clowns were popping up on Live Aquarium all the time. So I thought, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to do just a big old rose bubble tip cube you know when i say big i mean this thing was like you know only 35 gallons but um and then put some lats clowns in there and let them just let that be the uh the busy part of the house little reef nook right and i had uh there was somebody uh i think his username was anemone on um i'm friends with him on facebook i forget what his rc reef central username was but he had back before rbtas really took off he just had this these great maroon colored uh, rose bubble tips that were real long and stringy and, you know, they'd beat up under really intense lighting. But, and he sent me one um, as a friend and that thing would split all day long. Like if I let mm-hmm. it, I'd just have a, uh, 
I would have had a 180 gallon tank full of rose bubble tips. Um, so mm-hmm. that was what was in my head. So I go and buy these little tiny little rose bubble tips off of, you know, various sites and they all just dwindled and I couldn't figure out why. Part of it I thought was because the lat clowns, the last clowns were pretty big and they're just pounding these tiny little rose bubble tips. Like maybe if I had started with some larger colonies that could take the abuse of a large clown. Like imagine putting like a maroon, obviously my clowns weren't yeah. as big as maroon, but maybe there's a size proportion thing between host and hostie, right? I don't know, but it was a complete failure, which was so disheartening because that would have been like the perfect little setup to have, you know, mm-hmm. in the, you know, when I don't want to run down to the basement and admire what I'm doing down there. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, what's the scoop on that to me is like that. How did I think, I don't know, you know, obviously if you have a, a thumb sized bubble tip that's trying to put up with like a large clownfish, whew, those odds are stacked, right? But there's definitely some biological microbial aspect to, um, that's what I wondered. Yeah. RBT, you know, bubble tip anemone decline, right? I think it just named a disease, BTAD. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> People are aware of it. People have thrown various treatments at it. I think, you know, people have just shot in the dark with the Cipro, Ciproflexin. Um, but those protocols are super loose and they're not super guaranteed. And um, I don't know what the answer is, honestly. Yeah. But yeah. I just want to – you, you got are, are me to think cool. about it. Because I, I, I kept throwing more in there to try to distribute the uh, attention of the clown to other – you know, and it did. It danced around and – but – um, but yeah, the one I got from my friend was like massive, right? Like that thing was like a seven inch BTA mm-hmm. that just took, like, I had to move corals out of the way. Anyway, I've seen some in the wild, man, that are just like, I've seen some, it, it's weird. There's a, a strange dichotomy when it comes to intacmia quadricolor. Um, either you see them in the shallows and they just kind of look like whatever, you know, bubble tip you'd see at the fish store, but it's like a field of them. And it'll be like so many um, uh, cinnamon clownfish, Amphiprion melanopus, and and maroons. If there's enough marine anemones go around, they'll just kind of like make their own little ghettos. Or if you're diving a little deeper, you'll see one, which is glowing red, like the That's reddest red you've ever yeah. seen. That's like two or three feet across. And you're just like, why are some of them clonal? And they create these massive stands of bubble tips. And others are just like huge and just like jaw dropping. You know, I don't know what that is. Like sometimes you'll see a sunburst anemone. You know, let's say medium size, five, six inches, and it just knocks your socks off. And other times I'll go see the same uh, strain in very large tank with perfect conditions, growing corals, and it's just long and stringy, but it's not showing the color that, you know, you expect from one of these anemones. And I don't think there's a simple answer, man. Um, in one of my videos, I'm going to show off at Reef Currents. I literally have a video of bubble, like a little grove of bubble tips. Most of them are bubbly. Then there's one off to the side that's stringy. <laughs> You're like, what? Or on the flip side, currently, you know, my, my sunburst goes back and forth, back and forth. Um, if the spot synctus clownfish kind of sneaks into that basket, like she almost has to jump over the rim, um, it will go from bubbly to loose like that. 
And I know some people have had the opposite experience. Or like right now, it's kind of got stringy tentacles. The other day, I turned off the flow, just admiring its you know its color, and I just touched the base just a little bit. Within 15 seconds, every, every tentacle was bubbled. I was like, "What the hell?" I didn't, you know, I need to document that because that was pretty cool, actually. Yeah, so, mine. mine yeah, anemones, man. Halides and it was long and stringy. It wasn't bubble tip. The, the funny thing about bubble tip is, you know, you, when you go scuba dive into a region that you've, I mean, you've scuba dived a lot of places, but you when you see corals, you're like, "Oh, that's a leather coral." But there's certain corals that, when I first saw them in the wild, there was that definitely that like, "Oh man!" Like because there's just certain corals that I just equate to the aquarium hobby and um obviously you see tons of corals in the wild that you have in your aquarium but there's always that like holy crap i'm looking at a wild version of blah you know and that happened to me mm-hmm. with a rose bubble tip when i saw a wild one for the first time and then blastos when i first saw like a colony of blastos i was like what like that's yeah <laughs> just a, it it's was just amazing. a cool feeling to be like i know what that is you know so anyway yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, um, do you want to wrap it up with, I guess, one of our newest developments here on Reef Therapy? The book club? The book club. Oh, my God. I could, the feedback you know, on I, it was, was pretty strong. <laughs> I was literally doing like the swan song for aquarium books on the last session, and I could not believe the the feedback and the response that we got from the viewers and the listeners. And I just think it would be so much fun to uh, pick a book, tell the viewers and listeners what we're going to do. And then like, you know, a month later, we're going to review that book. And um, uh, I think you and I have decided to do like a TikTok cycle mm-hmm. where we reach back in the past for a very old classic book. And then we try uh, for the next month to do a more contemporary book that's going to, you know, appeal to more modern viewers and listeners. Yeah, I, the only thing I would add is, um, well, you know, you can provide, I think, more old books, but um, also maybe stuff that is slightly outside of the genre as well that, that may not appeal to everyone. Now, I, those maybe don't warrant a discussion, right, like uh, where mm-hmm. you, you spend a, a book review on it, but just putting those out in the ether of like, hey, you know, if this is a subject matter that interests you, there are some cool books about very specific things uh, or organisms in our hobby for example too but yeah yeah i'm with you i th- i think um perfect shoe in for the first two books and here's the thing some of the new books you actually can totally get new um but the old books you're gonna have to if you don't have it or don't have a friend who has it you're gonna have to you know dig around the back end back shelf of your fish store or Amazon or eBay. Um, one pro tip on Amazon, a lot of times like a crazy price will come up. And if you just look at the fine print, it'll have a used option for like 10% of the price. You can get so many of these great books for five to $10 shipped. Mm-hmm. Um, so you already announced the, the first book we want to uh, review. Well, I can tell you who the author is. I The, the title so long, I'm probably going to butcher it. But uh, the Marine Aquarium Reference Systems and Invertebrates by Martin Mo. I feel like this is probably the most uh, hands on, like sensible saltwater aquarium book 
that influenced so many after that after it like there was plenty of saltwater aquarium token books before that um but this book right here this is the hardcover um the paperback is like blue yellow and white that's the one um, i have yeah it's somewhere yeah on that, that thing's bookshelf like shelf over there you'll pay more in shipping than you will on the book yeah and here's the thing about old books you know it might be easy to dismiss some of them and say oh you know how does that going to talk to me about a refugium or led lighting or needle oil protein scammers it's not it's not going to touch on that at all it's going to drill down to even more fundamental ideas then we're not going to take it cover to cover you know him and i will we'll skim some stuff and and just you know point out some of the things that uh, some of the sections that really caught our attention because man if you think you have a really original idea, you probably just haven't read enough of the old literature <laughs> where the old guys might have said it in a different way. So um, the Marine Aquarium Reference Systems and Invertebrates by Martin Mo, Martin A. Moe Jr. Um, definitely feels like the shoe-in to, to talk about. He did so many other cool books, man. He did the – what else did he do? He did the – He did um, the breeding one, uh, the fish breeding um, one. It was um, uh, Orchid Donnie back. Yep, it was like journal style. I remember when that came out, read it cover to cover. And then the funnest one was the Marine Aquarist's quiz book, which I think was, it was so much fun. I used to play that, play like a moderator with that at the fish store because I'd already read it cover to cover. So I couldn't play, but it was like a, a fun trivia thing that like any reef club could pick up today. Um, I don't know how well tuned the questions are to modern reefers, but um, yeah, this is going to be a good book. And I'm, I'm just looking forward to setting a personal challenge for you and I to just revisit this stuff because it's going to jar some, some old ideas and implant new ones. Yeah. And the other thing too, is it's fun to, um, I mean, if you go out and get the book, cool. That's, that's, that's a huge step, but also just, um, looking into who that author is, right? Like Moza, he's, uh, if you don't know who he is, I mean, he's done a lot, right? Not just for the hobby, but I mean, we, to, to circle back to our conversation about how important herbivores are on a reef, right? When we had this massive die off of urchins, uh, in the Florida reefs and subsequently we lost a lot of coral and there was a lot of algae outbreaks, right? Mo was the one breeding urchins trying to figure out what was going on with them in his uh, Florida Keys lab, right? So there's a lot of cool, uh, I guess, backstories on that guy that that if you don't know who he is, just go Google him. <laughs> you know, there's a yeah, lot going on Yeah, I think it's there. fair to say he was Julian Sprung's Julian Sprung. Boom. Right. Another Julian go. Sprung reference here that... Cool. Well, I think on that note, that's a fun little, just kind of a mixed episode. We'll try to have something a little more cohesive next time. This uh, this session, we just kind of want to have a little mixed bag of different topics to talk about because uh, that's how the that's how the therapy goes. You know, just never go. know what's gonna what's gonna come up and what's gonna strike our fancy. Any any parting words, Mister? No, just uh, I guess in the. I think, I mean, to be honest, you know, I was sitting there struggling about a topic, but then the thing about us is that we go on so many tangents to begin with that even if we go free form, like you can see what happens, like we end up in some interesting discussions anyway. So, um, but yeah, um, now I got to go dig up my Martin A. Mo book. I know it's somewhere in my house. Yeah. I'll find it. Um, very cool. Well, um, thanks everybody for joining us on the 21st session of Reef Therapy. And thanks to everyone who's subscribed on the Reef Therapy standalone YouTube channel. If you haven't, uh, go check it out. If you're listening to it, a podcast, make sure to uh, rate us on your favorite podcatcher and tell a friend, man. I, this has been one of the most, um, 
poignant uh, pieces of content that we've ever come created out of Reef Builders. And I know it's resonating with a lot of people, people have commutes, but the best thing, man, you know what we should do? We should have a session that's specifically about aquarium maintenance so people can do aquarium maintenance while listening to aquarium maintenance so we can make it even more meta. I would love that. That'd be funny, especially if we do it around um, in, in a way it's like, okay, by now you'll be working on your protein skimmer. So let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should we should do acquired maintenance while recording reef therapy so that other people can do the same. Like, all right, this is the process. Scrape the glass, do your mechanicals, test some water, do your protein skimmer, clean clean your venturi. Maybe just take somebody through the entire process because they, be, they might be missing a couple steps. There you go. You never know. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, thanks for joining me again, Mark. Thanks for everybody for tuning in. And uh, we'll catch you again next week for another session. Yeah. Catch you on the next one. All right. Bye, guys.